This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. The location of a mass murderer is largely a mystery right now. It's been more than a year since the Aurora Theater shooter was sentenced to life in prison. And when you search James Holmes on the State Corrections website, it says no results were found. That is deeply frustrating to the families of his victims. They flooded CPR with tweets and emails this week when we solicited questions for our upcoming interview with the governor. We will ask him about this when we sit down later in the week. But joining me now is Karen Teves. Her son Alex was killed in the 2012 attack. Also with us, District Attorney George Brockler, who prosecuted the case. Welcome to you both. Thanks for being Morning, here. Hey, hi, Karen. How are you? Hi, George. How are you? Good. Long time no see. Can't wait for you to get back here. I'll say that uh, we did invite someone from the Colorado Department of Corrections onto the show, uh, but they declined. And a little background first. Um, words surfaced 10 months ago that the Aurora Theater shooter was transferred to an undisclosed prison outside of Colorado, and victims and families were not notified. The families say this is a violation of Colorado's Victim Rights Act, but state prison officials call the move temporary, and so they say the transfer is exempt from that act. Karen, why is it important to know where your son's killer is? Well, it it, it is deeply frustrating for us. And, you know, this individual who killed 12 and injured 70 impacted thousands of lives is likely the only secret mass murderer high-profile prisoner in the United States. You know, and and I would like to ask the Colorado Department of Corrections what makes this individual so special, that he deserves preferential treatment. Um, If you look through other high-profile mass murder incarcerations, there are so many that are public. You know, I don't use the names of um, these murderers because I don't want to add notoriety to them. And you can see my stance on nonotoriety.com. But if you think about the, you know, the assassination of a former U.S. Attorney General, public, the, the individual who attempted to assassinate a U.S. President, public, a cannibal from Wisconsin, public, mastermind of the Manson family murders, public, and so on and so on. Um, you know, it's, it's extremely important because I think, you know, the DOC argues that it's for the sake of safety of the prisoner. Well, how does that fare to me and my family? How is that fair to all the victims when their sense of safety and peace of mind had been stolen by this individual. You know, it, it, you know nothing's going to bring back my son. And the only peace of mind that my family can ever have is knowing where this individual is housed. And a tangible knowledge of the address and where this prisoner is, is the only peace of mind we have. And for them to deny us that right to know exactly where that person is incarcerated is just downright cruel. And Karen, help me understand why that's peace of mind. Oh, peace of mind, because let's say um, we decided to pick up and move somewhere. I don't want to be in the same state as an individual. I, it, it gives me a sense of safety, knowing a tangible address. You know, people don't understand, but when, when someone suffers from such a horrific event in their life that takes their child and an individual that murders your child or your mother, father, brother, sister, um, there are certain things that you have to deal with on a daily basis, moment to moment to moment. And one of those things 
is your sense of safety is compromised and to know exactly where that individual is. And it may not sound um, like something that could be, but for us, knowing where it is gives us that sense of safety. I want to say that you live in Arizona. You join us by phone from there. There have been other high-profile cases of prisoners moving to an undisclosed out-of-state location. I'll say that in 2014, August, uh, I'm sorry, Austin Sig, uh, who killed 10-year-old Jessica Ridgway, was moved. Um, A Denver Post article reported that a DOC spokesperson said transfers like that are not rare. Uh, The Corrections Department has said the move is temporary and says it used something called the National Interstate Compact Agreement to provide, quote, safety to their staff and offenders. Holmes was roughed up by a fellow inmate, which caused only minor injuries. The head of corrections, Rick Ramish, was quoted in Newsweek earlier this year. He said, disclosing the location of the inmate thwarts the intended purpose of the transfer and is contrary to the public interest. D.A. Brockler, uh, high-profile inmates can be beaten, even killed in prison. Isn't there a case for some secrecy if he is vulnerable? Not here. And certainly that is not the trend. I mean, Karen is right. If you or any of your listeners were to go to Google and look up federal inmate locator, you could type in the name of any high profile federal criminal in the last 20 years and find exactly where they're housed. That includes guys like Sarnayev from the Boston bombing, uh, Blagojevich, who's housed right here in Englewood FCI, and everyone in between, uh, the Unabomber, Richard Reed. You get to know all these things. And so when the head of the Department of Corrections for Colorado says, we don't have the ability to keep him safe unless we move him out of state, I think the question that taxpayers have to ask is, why are we so different than all the other states that Karen pointed out? publish where their mass murderers are housed? Why are we so different and incapable of providing safety for people that the federal government seem to be able to provide? It seems like it's a tacit admission that we lack the tools to protect our inmates, whether they are big or small. And this is a great question, too. One of the things that people may recall is a couple years ago, the Department of Corrections, without public input, made the decision to abolish what we call administrative segregation, which is solitary confinement. That is a tool that is used for punitive sanctions, no doubt about it, in in prisons. And we can debate whether that's good or not. But the issue here is it's also used to protect prisoners, sometimes at their own request or for their own benefit. We no longer have that tool. But what we know is wherever the Department of Corrections sent this guy, they sent him to a state where he is now in, wait for it, solitary confinement. I'll say I I don't think the state eliminated solitary confinement, but drastically reduced their reliance on administrative segregation. Isn't that true? No, it's gone. Uh, They've changed it. Not only do they not have the same administrative um, segregation, they call it restrictive housing. And lately they've downshifted to even something called a timeout. Um, So what they end up doing now with disciplinary cases is they can house them for a certain limited period of time before they can be reviewed. And then at a certain, I think it's up to one year, then they have to take them out of administrative segregation or whatever they're calling restrictive housing now. All right. And you're saying that those steps related to administrative segregation, solitary confinement may mean that Colorado has to send some of its prisoners out of state where that's possible? Yes. Okay. In fact, we know that happened here. 
I'll say that uh, the director of corrections was quoted in a Newsweek article saying that the offender, the Aurora Theater shooter, was not released, discharged, paroled, or sent to a less secure facility, but was transferred to an equally secure facility and will ultimately return to Colorado in time. Karen, in June, uh, six months after word surfaced of the transfer, a state subcommittee deadlocked three to three over whether to inform families of the shooter's whereabouts. This panel is made up of victims, advocates, judges, law enforcement. The tie meant that the location stayed secret. So this has had a hearing. Have you spoken to other families? What are they feeling about this? Um, I I have. And and getting back to that hearing, um, I was privileged to be able to listen to the hearing on the phone. And the subcommittee um, people that were on the board, they were just as confused with the temporary versus permanent. Um, They had many questions, ultimately, deciding to deny our request um, based on um, fairness, dignity, and respect. Um, But other family members, yes, I cannot speak for them, but they have voiced to me that this is um, very frustrating for the reasons that I had mentioned prior. And and their feelings of safety are compromised as well. And, And... what type of example is the DOC setting? You know, we used to have a, a message, you know, do the crime, do the time. But now it's almost to the point where the more horrific the crime, the more preferential the treatment. You know, prison is not a country club, as, as Judge Samore had said. It's a dangerous place. And honestly, that individual should be in fear every single second. They should not be wrapped in a cocoon of uh, safety and peace of mind while the rest of us out here are living with the trauma, grief, and fear that that murderer created for us every single second. Is there a part of you that wants the Aurora Theater shooter to die in prison by means other than his his own aging? Um, nothing will bring my son back, so that is irrelevant to me. The only thing that's relevant to me is my family's sense of peace, somewhat sense of peace, the only peace they could muster, and that is to know giving them a sense of safety and knowing where this individual is. All right. Uh, District Attorney Brockler, what legal means do family members have here? I mean, I understand that they they could have appealed that three to three decision not to disclose. Yeah, I think it's tough. Um, There was a board member missing. That's a seven member board. So you don't end up with deadlocks like this. So it's tough when you get to that three to three vote. I think the other potential vehicles out there, and I don't practice this kind of law, so I don't know much about it, is that they could file a lawsuit, a specific type of lawsuit, naming the Department of Corrections in there. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know what the resources available to them are, but that is the only remaining vehicle I can think of other than this. A change in the head of the Department of Corrections, a change in the governor would also make this information available. I am aware of no rule, regulation, law anything that prohibits the executive director of DOC or the governor who you're going to talk to from revealing this information. If they don't reveal it, it's by discretion. It's by their choice. When you say a change in, you don't mean in the leadership. You mean in their minds. Either in their minds or the leadership, right? I mean, if you can't change the executive director's mind, there's going to be a new DOC director in the next two to four years, let's say, right? If that happens, that person could make the decision to reveal the location of this person. Uh, the governor could change his mind. Or if the governor, let's say the governor leaves and, and uh, the vice, or I'm sorry, the lieutenant governor becomes a governor, she could decide to release this information. There's no prohibition but a self-imposed one. Karen, any plans to sue? 
Um, not at this time, um, but it, it is concerning to me, as, as George said, that the DOC has never been able to point to any statute, a contract, or anything that says they have to keep this secret. The law states that if a victim asks where an offender is housed, the DOC must provide a victim with that information. One quick thing about this. Listen, they've let used... me say this is the Colorado Victim Rights Act, I believe. Yes, yeah. correct, correct. Um, this defense that the DOC has invoked, this, well, it's a temporary move. If you take that to its natural conclusion, they would never have to reveal the location of any prisoner ever to any victim because every prisoner is temporarily housed where they're at. The only thing that makes it permanent is once they die or once they're released. So this tortured definition of temporary really eviscerates the protections that Karen Teeves and her husband and the other victims are entitled to. Thanks to both of you for being with us. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Karen Teeves' son, Alex, was killed in the 2012 Aurora Theater shooting. District Attorney George Brockler prosecuted that case. And we will put this question, as we said, related to the shooter's whereabouts to Governor Hickenlooper this week. You can hear that conversation Friday. Again, the Colorado Department of Corrections did not provide someone for us to speak to, but our invitation to that agency remains open. Coming up... How the heck are there 22 presidential candidates on Colorado's ballot? This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. A lot of voters in Colorado have told us they aren't happy with either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump for president. And we will hear from some of those voters in just a few minutes on this program. But there are many other choices besides Libertarian Gary Johnson or Green Party, Green Party candidate, pardon me, Jill Stein. In fact, there are 22 presidential candidates in all on Colorado's ballot, including this man. My fellow Americans, my name is Rod Silva, and I am running for president of the United States of America as an independent candidate on behalf of the Nutrition Party. Yes, the Nutrition Party. That's the candidate there, Rod Silva. We're going to hear more from him in a moment. But the reason there are so many candidates on Colorado's ballot is that it's fairly easy to qualify. Reporter Peter Marcus puts it like this. If you have $1,000 and nine friends, you can get your name on the ballot, too. Peter is with the Durango Herald, and uh, welcome to the program. How are you? Pleasure to be here. I'm good. Colorado is one of only two states where I guess you can just pay a fee and get on the ballot, huh? Yeah, no, you, uh, that's the way we phrased it. It was a thousand bucks and nine friends. And, uh, what we mean by that is, um, the thousand dollar fee, of course, to make the ballot. And then uh, you need to show that you have nine registered voters who will agree to be electors. And that's basically to satisfy the electoral college requirements. You know, Colorado has nine electoral college, um, uh, votes. So, uh, yeah, thousand bucks and nine friends and you're on the ballot here. So is this true with other offices like U.S. Senate or, or state races? Um, no. Okay. Um, so, uh, it's actually much more difficult to get on, uh, say for U.S. Senate or for Congress. Um, you know, in Colorado we have, um, you can either caucus onto the ballot, um, 
where you show up at your assembly, um, you know, and a few, you know, various candidates get up and speak to those in attendance and state their case and people back them or don't back them. Um, and then you have to get, I believe, 30 percent um, of the delegate votes to make the ballot. Or you can petition onto the ballot. I forget the exact number, but you need something like 2,500 signatures around there from each of the uh, congressional districts to um, to get onto the ballot. So a couple of ways there, but no, not quite as easy as paying a fee and showing nine folks will get behind you. Right. It's the highest office in the land that's the easiest to get on the ballot for. Um, the, only, the only thing I can kind of you know, think about it is that, you know, with presidential office, with it being such a high office, you know, these, you know, other independent candidates aren't really going to muster too many votes. So um, even though it is really easy to get onto the ballot and it is the highest office in the land, um, you know, it's not really going anywhere. So the the risk factor is kind of low, I would say. Mm. I imagine a lot of people who opened their ballots last week were surprised by the list. Uh, besides Rod Silva of the Nutrition Party, what stood out to you uh, of the candidates and the parties that they're running with? Well, I spoke to this one guy, uh, Frank Atwood. He's of Littleton. He's actually run for offices before. Um, he's running as an approval voting party candidate. And uh, the reason I highlight him and what he's doing is because what most of these candidates do is they're using the presidential ballot um, as a means to advance an issue or a cause. Um, you know, they know they're not going to be president of the United States. It's an opportunity when you open your ballot and you go, what the heck is the approval voting party? You might look further into it. So in the case of the uh, approval voting, uh, it's a, a, an idea to switch elections to a system in which voters may back several candidates on the same ballot, with right. the winner being the candidate with the most, quote, you know, approvals. Um, so, yeah, you know, <laughs> Frank's under no illusion that um, he's going to be president of the United States, but this is an opportunity for him to catch voters' attention on this unique idea. Yeah, approval voting, where you can vote for as many candidates as you want. Uh, it does strike me that it's a, a fairly inexpensive way to get your name and your cause in front of hundreds of thousands of people, you know, who get presidential ballots. Um, and, and yet you report that this is a real issue for clerks who have to distribute these ballots. What did you hear from clerks? Yeah, well, first of all, this is the most presidential candidates anyone can remember in recent memory. Huh. Um, uh, so it really threw the clerks for a loop this year. Um, they're complaining that the cloud, that this crowded of a ballot is complicating the process. Um, the problem is the size of the ballot. Multiple pages increases costs and adds to voter confusion. You know, so that, that beyond just the cost of what it costs for the clerks to um, to print these ballots. With so many candidates on the ballot, some voters, they may not have gotten the word. They can think that they can select multiple candidates, and that spoils their vote. You just you, know, you just lost your vote for president. You might see this long list and be like, I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton and, I don't know, this nutrition party. You know, it seems kind of interesting. Can't, got nothing to lose there. 
mark that down. Guess what? Your ballot just got spoiled. So the clerks are worried about that. But then there is also just, you know, the issue of um, the size of the ballot. There, um, you know, there was fears in Denver that they were going to have to go to three full pages. You, then you have issues with perhaps having to put not one, but two stamps on. Um, and so, you know, it, there's logistical issues to it as well. What about the Secretary of State's office? Any concerns there at the top? Yeah, Wayne Williams isn't thrilled with it. <laughs> um, he's our Secretary of State. Uh, he, uh, when he was traveling around the state, he's often traveling around the state speaking with clerks. This was an issue that they were raising. Um, uh, he's uh, talking about it's it's on their priorities list. Uh, they're still developing their legislative priorities, but they're uh, probably this year or this coming session, starting in January. Uh, going to go to the legislature and see what can be done about this, uh, making it more difficult. The legislature did uh, recently raise the fee from $500 to $1,000. <laughs> that didn't uh, obviously didn't have too much of an effect. So they're going to go back and see how they can tighten it up a little bit more. Again, the process for landing on Colorado's ballot as a presidential candidate. And so just real quickly, Peter, the point is there are names on Colorado's ballot that really appear nowhere else in the country on on no other state's ballot. Correct? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. In Colorado and Louisiana are the only states that allow this fee-based system. Louisiana even has a is a $500 fee, what Colorado's used to be, so it's even easier there, actually. Um, but yeah, no, but, uh, you will see names on this ballot that you will see nowhere else in the country. All right. And, and there is one other, uh, oh, there is just one other aspect to this, which is I think that one of the reasons you have seen such an influx this year is because there is a lackluster interest in the major party candidates, and people are in some way looking for an alternative. So it's kind of interesting aspect to it as well. Peter Marcus there, reporter for the Durango Herald. We talked about how easy it is for presidential candidates to land on Colorado's ballot. And now to Rod Silva. Rod, you're running for president on the Nutrition Party ticket, as we said, and you're on the line with us from New Jersey. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Ryan. How are you? I'm okay. Why do you think the health of this country is such an important issue? So I'd just like to thank that your guest before me just, you know, enlightened your viewers on what it takes to be on a ballot. But I'm going to quote you a couple quick facts, and you tell me how important this is. This is an issue to our nation. High cholesterol affects 71 million Americans every year. 86 million U.S. residents 20 years or older have prediabetes. High blood pressure alone costs us $46 billion a year in health care. So if you just take them three quick facts... You tell me, if you add them up, how many Americans are affected by a cause that nobody speaks about in this political cycle. Your slogan is Make America Healthy Again. How did it occur to you that running for presidents would be the avenue to raise awareness of this issue? Well, I think I, you know, I listened to the primaries and, and what the, the cans were speaking about. And the only can that brought up was Huckabee. And he was pretty much just dismissed off of the, the first debate. And I thought it was great timing with Mrs. Obama leaving office, and she did a great job with children and bringing awareness to the healthy lifestyle. But I always felt like that's the tail wagging the dog because you really got to get parents and and uh, 
the millennials, and everybody who's getting older to lead the charge because kids don't usually lead the household. They're led by the household. So we need to get the parents into healthiness before you can actually bring the kids. So I just felt it was perfect timing. And, the, you know, the two candidates that we have today, I believe that leaves a large gap for most Americans that are unhappy with the two choices they have for president. Uh, this is your first time running for president. Did you start the nutrition party? Yes, sir. I okay. did start it, and I'm very proud of what we've been able to accomplish. As your progress said, it's been uh, a very difficult process to get on ballots, and uh, each state has their own requirements. And where I differ from your, your prior guess is that I feel like in a democratic society, we should not prohibit where only two major parties can be uh, on a ballot, because then it really limits our choices. As free people, we should be able to have more choices. And if a clerk is upset every four years that they have to put 22 names on the ballot, you know, I think there's bigger issues in that in life that we can get over. Hmm. I understand Colorado is the only state where you have been able to qualify for the ballot. Um, Your your running mate is your brother, Richard, who's a doctor in Florida. And I understand your interest in healthy living is spurred in part by your father, who passed away, I think, at the relatively young age of 62. How did that affect you? Yeah, so, you know, early on, he, I created a, a restaurant concept called Muscle Maker Grill that creates great food for the healthy lifestyle. So i was always been passionate about living a healthy lifestyle. As In the early stage of creating this concept, you know, uh, my father, unfortunately, had a massive heart attack in his car. And we, him and my brother, me and my brother found him, uh, passed away in the car, deceased. And it was such a traumatic experience. A guy full of life, our hero, great, great guy, uh, American, you know, dream story. And uh, it just showed me that, you know, we can fight for a lot of things. We could strive for the American dream and and work really hard in this country. We have a lot of opportunity. But if we don't take care of our health, none of that matters. It didn't matter to him what he achieved in that moment. It was over because of high blood pressure and high cholesterol and uh I just feel like that, knowing that it's born in me that this is something that should be the top of the American consciousness, saying, what can we do to make America healthy? Because, you know, if you talk about job creation, you talk about any situ- any issue that we're facing, nation, health care, the Affordable Care Act, if we don't get on top of this issue, regardless of which plan works, our health care system will be bankrupt. If we don't get Americans healthy and back into the workplace again, there's a many Americans, I speak of great Americans, that just are not healthy, whether it's mentally, physically, uh, to get back to the workforce or to work at the capability that they once worked at. So for a nation that's very productive, we've become unproductive due to these large numbers that I've quoted. There's many more statistics I could quote you of unhealthiness in our society. And I think it should become the main focus of what we talk about because our greatest resource in America is not our democratic system, it's our people. You are still very involved with a chain of restaurants that you mentioned. You started them in the 90s called Muscle Maker Grill, which uh, has spread to several states. There are not franchises in Colorado, I'll say, but is is your candidacy uh, also partly about getting more business to your restaurants? Well, no, because in 2015, uh, I had sold the company to a larger company out of Southern California. And when people ask you, why did I do it? Because I'm so passionate about living a healthy lifestyle, about helping other people achieve wellness. And, and I always say, it all starts with where you are. Everybody's degree of where they are in wellness starts where they are. So if, 
if there's a marathon runner or a guy who does exercise for the first time, both of them are on their journey into wellness. So when I sold the company, I stayed on it as, as a uh, consultant. My really my, my goal, my aspirations going forward is to be able to affect the most amount of people to live a healthier lifestyle, to be able to take care of their, their best resource, which is themselves. So it's a part of it, but my main focus is what can I do to spread awareness to the American people that the number one priority is to be in health. All right. Now, you mentioned just briefly before we go, the first lady, Michelle Obama, who has made uh, exercise in kids and healthy eating a priority. Have you um, met her? Has she reached out to you as the nutrition party? You know, she hasn't. I've done I work with her in the school systems. We've done school, you know, work across the country in her program. She sets up for young kids and eating healthy lunches. So we've been a part of that. I have I've written her letters. I've written you know Governor Christie letters from from my local state. So I haven't reached them, but that doesn't mean I stop trying. So my my goal is to continue bringing awareness. Hopefully, the next president of the United States will know and will be able to lean on me, or I'll be able to be of some influence or some help in continuing what Miss Obama star, but actually take it to the next level, which is adults. All right. That's Rod Silva running for president on the Nutrition Party ticket. He's one of the 22 presidential candidates on Colorado's ballot. And we heard earlier from Peter Marcus of the Durango Herald about why it's relatively easy to get on the ballot here. Up next, voters who cast their ballots for a third party this year. How do they respond to claims that they're throwing away their vote? This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Back with Colorado Matters from CPR News, I'm Ryan Warner. Nothing ignites a firestorm on Facebook quite like a post about voting for a third party this election. Commenters either celebrate that voter for their convictions or blast them for throwing away their vote. Today, we hear from Coloradans who won't go red or blue at the top of the ticket. Edgar Antion of Denver co-owns Guns for Everyone. It's a handgun training company. He plans to vote for Libertarian Gary Johnson. And recent high school grad Erin Doherty of Denver felt the burn during the Democratic primary, but now says she's voting for Dr. Jill Stein of the Green Party. And welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Erin, you graduated from East High School in Denver. You're on the phone from Olympia, Washington, where you're pursuing a music career now. But you will uh, cast your vote in Colorado. Mm -hmm. When Bernie Sanders didn't get the nomination, what went through your head? Um, well, it was... It was it was tough actually um working with the campaign and volunteering and putting in so much energy and actually seeing the groundswell of support and how many people were aligned with this cause and um and and actually going through it all and seeing the amount of true voter suppression that was going on um all across the country and um, just kind of coming to this realization after seeing um, primary after primary and week after week of, of injustice 
for for the voters really having such a difficult time um, that we are in a place in our system right now where we don't have a very accessible democracy and a lot of people's voices aren't being represented. Um, and so it was tough when Bernie didn't make it, but, um, you know, there was so much grassroots movement and um, community engagement that I think that's really going to continue on um, beyond the presidential election and into our local level um, elections and into our local um, agendas. And why is Dr. Stein the answer for you as opposed to Hillary Clinton on the Democratic right. ticket? Right. So um, for me, um, as a young person looking at our future, like above all, I support life and I support a future. And right now it's not so much even about what kind of future we will have, but whether we'll have a future at all. And um, Jill Stein is the only candidate who right now is um, really being a voice of the people and not of the corporate interest. And she's also the only one with a really strong plan that's going to allow a future for all of us by um, protecting our resources and our environment and our earth, allowing our children and our children's children and the seventh generation to come to have a thriving life and opportunity um, to live. So with my morals, um, I want to stand behind someone that I believe in rather than settling for a lesser evil. Um, so that's I, big I, on the way I, I think you're referring in part to her Green New Deal, which is yeah, the Green Party's absolutely. four four-part plan for the country, mm-hmm. uh, takes inspiration from Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal programs during the Great Depression and promises things like an economic bill of rights, a transition to cleaner energy and financial reform for big banks. You talked earlier about voter suppression in the Democratic Party. Uh, I I imagine that you're talking more than uh, just about the superdelegates and to some of the WikiLeaks stuff or... Right, um, both, all of it, um, the WikiLeaks and um, showing that the DNC has been in collusion with Hillary Clinton the whole time, kind of helping her campaign and suppressing Bernie. Um, From that to the media blackout where both Bernie and now Jill, like Jill just released a statistic where Hillary and Trump have gotten 20,000 times the amount of media coverage that she has. Right now, Facebook has algorithms that are decreasing the amount of, of um, posts related to Bernie or Jill or things like the Dakota Access Pipeline. So people aren't able to see um, really what these people are standing for in Arizona, in New York, in California, um, all over in these primaries. There was huge amounts of polling stations closed. People were showing up who had registered as Dem, Democrat um, for Bernie, and they were finding that they had um, no registration or had been switched and they couldn't vote. So tons of things. But yes, um, I am hugely supportive of her Green New Deal. No. And, um, and and some of the claims yeah. there I, I, I can't substantiate about the suppression, but I will say that Senator mm-hmm. Sanders has reportedly shrugged off criticism towards him in DNC emails leaked by WikiLeaks. Sanders told the Washington Post recently, trust me, if they went into our emails, I'm sure there would be statements less flattering about the Clinton staff. Uh, He has also endorsed Clinton and is campaigning for her, including Mm -hmm. a recent visit to Colorado. Uh, You've already mailed in your ballot, but um, Mm -hmm. has that made you question your support for Stein in any way? Um, No, no, it hasn't. So 
For me and for a lot of Bernie supporters, it wasn't him so much that our alliance was to, but rather our fundamental underlying beliefs and our um, need to support specific things in our society that will allow us to have a future. And we look at Hillary, and there are so many things that she has a history of standing for and will most likely continue to that will not allow us to have that future. Um, can, you cite, children, can you cite one example right? real quickly before I bring in Edgar? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, gosh, so many things. Um, um, so, first of all, she's a really strong um, war hawk, and a lot of people are afraid of Trump in saying that he'll ignite a huge, um, you know, World War III type of scenario or nuclear conflict. And um, right now, she has incited um, saying that she would be willing to do a, a no-fly zone in Syria and ignite conflict with the Russians and in that, and she will support probably the TPP. She will continue supporting oil um, consumption and fracking and not have a strong initiative to get off of fossil fuel and save resources like water. She's, she's just really a representative of the um, corporate interests which will continue um, harming us, harming our food supply, harming our water supply, and um, making the economy difficult for working people and everyday people to thrive. Let me say that uh, Clinton has actually come out against uh, the the TPP. But I I do want to bring in Edgar. You're 31. I understand your previous voting tendencies have been Republican or not voting at all. Correct. And uh, apparently you didn't vote in 2012 because you didn't like any of the options. <laughs> Correct. Um, but Johnson was running for president on the libertarian ticket then. Correct. So what, what happened between 2012 and now that changed your mind about Gary Johnson well, and the Libertarian Party? I think there's been a, a big transition in my life, I think, for and it happens for, for many people. But I, I ran as a candidate, as a Republican candidate in 2010. What what was and, the office? Uh, House District, um, House District thirty five at the time. It is now House District thirty two. It kind of split up, but okay. um, State House nonetheless. And my transition from my allegiance to the Republican Party and understanding that kind of what what she already said is the Republican Party really doesn't represent who I am a- anymore. I'm I'm. I'm way closer to freedom. Uh, you can call me an anarchist, and the Libertarian Party really represents that a lot more than the Republicans do. An anarchist, right? What one <laughs> belief of, of the Libertarian Party is that any government function or institution that's not spelled out in the U.S. Constitution should be eliminated. Correct. Essentially, do do you agree with that? I, I would agree with that a lot more than than the Republican platform or even the Democratic platform. Absolutely. So, did it ever cross your mind to vote for Trump this year? No, absolutely not. It has never crossed my mind to to give him a chance to hear him out. Um, it, it just no, not at all. Why not? It he essentially doesn't represent who I am. It, you can't vote for somebody who who doesn't represent who you are as an individual. And Donald Trump really doesn't. Uh, Gary Johnson, to be quite frank with you, doesn't represent everything that that I stand for. But it is a rejection of the the Republicans, and it is a rejection of the Democrats and their corruption in, in our political system. What do you like best about the libertarian platform? Live and let live. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't bother me. I don't bother you. We work together as a community. But overall, if, if it doesn't affect my life, then I'm not going to ban it. I'm not going to make a law against it. Uh, I have no no reason to to be involving myself in your life and your personal decisions. 
Is this a protest vote then, Edgar? For the most part, yes, okay. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you're you're uh, voting more against something than for. Correct. Hmm. Absolutely. We spoke with CPR listener Vicki Lim of Pueblo. She told us she's going to vote for Johnson because she's become disillusioned with the two-party system as well. I don't like what either of the parties has been doing. And I really don't see a lot of difference between the two of them. They say there's a difference, but when they get into office, there doesn't seem to be one. I guess I want to take on this idea that there's not a difference between the parties, because Aaron Doherty, when when I look at, at the platforms, boy, I see lots of differences that, you know, Democrats believe uh, largely that climate change has anthropomorphic causes. Uh, the question of whether you support Obamacare is often broken down on party lines. The Iran nuclear deal, there are lots of issues that have surfaced that show the differences between the parties. How How would you respond to that? Right. Um, well, you know, there um, there are supposedly differences in their platforms, but I think at the end of the day we come back to seeing that either one in power is going to really represent the corporate interest. Um, they're going to um, be endangering us as people and um, continuing um war, continuing fossil fuel, continuing um, these things. And so right now we're really at a pinnacle in um, humanity on this planet Earth where we have to decide, like, no, we cannot keep on giving over our power. We cannot keep on choosing a lesser evil because um, we have to really stand for what we believe in. And um, as Edgar was saying, this is a protest vote. Like, for me, a lot of people throw at us, like, oh, you must be protesting. But for me, like, no, this is, like... I am voting for what I believe in. And there's a lot of power in that. So we really have to look at our own values and maybe look at someone like Jill Stein, who does align with a lot of those values beyond even the Democrat, saying they're for something, but not necessarily having the actions that follow up with that. And so we really have to look at what we value and how either making a vote or or on our local level, creating change and creating communities and projects that are working for what we believe in, because we have a, a really continuous cycle of giving over our power. And um, I honestly don't think that either, like the Democrats even saying these things are in their platform, um, is really going to ensure that it's honored and respected with the way that they are financed and funded. All right, let's take a break and continue yeah. with these third-party voters this year. That includes uh, Edgar Antion, who says he'll vote libertarian, and Erin Doherty, who you just heard there. She just uh, graduated from Denver's East High School and has voted for Dr. Jill Stein of the Green Party. This is CPR News. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. And uh, over the last few weeks, we put a call out to listeners and other Coloradans who are voting third party this election. And we heard from quite a few of you, including two guests who joined me. That's uh, 31-year-old Edgar Antion of Denver. He says he'll vote for Libertarian candidate Gary Johnson. And Aaron Doherty, who just graduated from East High School in Denver and is voting for Dr. Jill Stein of the Green Party. Another person who reached out is Patrick Albright of Wellington. He's a former chairman of the Larimer County Republican Party. And he said he can't bring himself to vote for Trump. Just because he has an R behind his name doesn't mean his policies are right. You know, I don't care about winning the Super Bowl and my team, the Republicans, winning. I have a vision for the country that uses the Constitution as um, a guide, as a restraint, and not an obstacle to try to get around. Albright said he voted for Johnson in 2012 and will do so again this year. But this is the first time he's gone 
public and hardcore. He's, those are his words about this. He says it really comes down to less federal government and what he calls constitutional restraint. But uh, to the, the candidate Gary Johnson, he appeared on MSNBC's Morning Joe program last month, Edgar, and he was now infamous, infamously uh, caught off guard by one question. What would you do if you were elected about Aleppo? About Aleppo. And what is Aleppo? You're kidding. No. What did you make of that? <laughs> well, I think like most people, uh, it, it, it's quite humorous to, to hear Johnson say that. And I think you, you see something like that from Johnson throughout the years. But I think what we need to focus on is, is the fact that every presidential candidate has had a similar gaffe. Uh, but because it's Gary Johnson, we're going to amplify it. Uh, well, President Obama said there was 57 states. And we kind of laughed about that and shrugged it off. But we made such a humongous deal about Johnson saying what he said. And the fact is, is that Johnson is just one of those candidates that's non-interventionist. So it, 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 it doesn't surprise me that he doesn't concern himself with what's going on in, in different countries because his idea of that is no more wars, bringing everybody back home, uh, focus on a strong defense instead of an offense, which is what we do in the United States, is focus more on an offense than, than defense. Okay, Snopes took on this idea that Obama said 57 states, and apparently he said it about 57 Islamic states, not United States. Oh, But, but, but uh, in any case, you think yeah. it's a distraction, I suppose. It, it, more than anything else, absolutely. Uh, so what I'd like to, to get from both of you before we go is, is how you respond to what I imagine is some vitriol that you receive, that in this election, it is highly likely your candidate will not win. And that voting for them, therefore, is unwise, is a waste of a vote. Um, would you address that, Erin? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, first of all, if if Jill Stein even receives 5% of the vote right now, which she likely already has more than that, um, including all first-time and millennial voters, um, then she will receive federal funding in the next four years, and and we will receive a place of having open debates and really having all um, representations heard and all all perspectives heard, which is what we really need. You know, right now, seventy five percent of Americans really, really want to have a broader um, perspective and and more choices on their ballot um, and in the debates that they they can hear and learn about. And um, so it's more of an investment right now. No matter which party wins, um, Democrat or Republican, right now, it's going to be um, scary. It's going to be a hard time. And but we need to come together and um, support that which we can invest our future in and which we can believe in. So, so it's part um, it's part practical and right. and part right. philosophical. I think absolutely Stein absolutely. was uh, polling at about two or three percent nationally. Edgar, how do you answer this question? Do you do you face it from friends and oh, family? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you do. Absolutely. Yeah, what you, do they say? You get the ridicule and, and you're just throwing your vote away. And ultimately, for me, is and I, let I, me correct myself. I'm so sorry. I, I think uh, Stein is at five percent. Is that right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, for me, the, it's a very simple answer that, that I give these folks is I, I'd much rather vote for freedom and lose um, than to continue voting for tyranny or the corruption that we already have and win. It, it's kind of insane to say these two candidates 
are our only choice and I'm just going to pick the lesser of two evils and I'm going to continue voting for the corruption and the dismantling of our freedoms, uh, whatever little freedoms we, we do have. Um, it's it just insane to, to continue that process. Will you respond to me um, uh, for a, a, this is a piece I, I read? I think it was in Huffington Post okay. it's titled Think Really, Really Hard Before Voting a Third Party Candidate. And it said to call the two major party candidates equivalents is wrong. What do you What do you think? I, it's, the, it's the same. I, I I'm on the on board with with what Aaron said. Uh, Republicans and Democrats are absolutely the same. Uh, we can look at Obama, and Obama is Bush 2.0. Realistically, he's just not. He, he's a lot well worse versed than than Bush ever was. That's really the only difference. He's more eloquent than Bush. Well, thanks to both of you for sharing your perspectives with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So you heard Edgar Antion, who co-owns Westminster-based Guns for Everyone. It offers concealed carry classes. He says libertarian candidate Gary Johnson is his pick for president. And Denver High School grad and aspiring musician Aaron Doherty voted for the Green Party's Dr. Jill Stein. You can read more of Coloradans' responses about voting for third parties at CPRnews.org. I'm Ryan Warner.